Hello, everyone. Here we are with our second installment of the IDG 50 for 50 podcast. I'm Aaron Gordon here with my father, David Gordon. Reach us at gordoncompanies.com, linkedin.com slash gordoncompanies, Gordon Companies on Twitter and Instagram. Follow our hashtag IDG at 50 or 50 for 50. Once again, all the opinions expressed during this podcast are ours and ours alone. Welcome back, Pops. How are you? I'm doing good. And you? I'm doing great. Last time we discussed a little bit about the background of the business, some changes we've seen, some challenges, a little bit about those who might be employed in the business, those who are thinking about being employed in the business, and some market trends that we are seeing. This time, we decided we'll discuss a little bit about relationships. So we'll try to make this a little more of a conversation. Last time was a little bit of an interview. And once again, any feedback that anyone has, we'd love to hear because we're always looking to improve. There are two main relationships that we have as brokers that I think those out there might benefit from hearing about. The first is the, maybe we'll work backwards. The first is the broker-carrier relationship because maybe we can pull the curtain back a little bit, not on the nitty gritty, but a little bit about how that process works and some of the value and how lucky we are to have some of those great relationships. And then we can talk about ultimately the relationships that we have with our clients and how we service them and the best experiences that we can have and how we can make their experience the best. So I guess the first question I'll ask you on this is you are world renowned for incredibly deep relationships with underwriters, marketing reps that then go to the CEO level and everyone grows. And that's one of the best things about our, our reputation. How did you, how did you get to that? What, what's the, what's the secret sauce to developing those relationships on the underwriter side? Uh, Aaron, there's nothing special about the, about this way of doing business. What it really says is that you respect everyone who you meet and don't treat life as a series of transactions. So you greet the receptionist in an office in the same way you greet the, uh, the manager of the office in the same way you greet the owner. And eventually that receptionist becomes a manager and that manager becomes an owner and that receptionist becomes an owner. And people remember the people who were nice to them on their way up. So I think the development of the relationships first starts with something very simple called human. And I think the, the certainly if you look at, at the whole story, I think if you change the term from broker to intermediary and understand that our role is an intermediary between a buyer and a seller, and we're looking for the moment at the seller's side and how do we develop that relationship, we develop that relationship by one, being productive. So the seller wants to have a, a business relationship with someone on the other side who is productive. And I think a second component is the willingness to admit what you don't know. So when you say to the seller, to give you an example, I have a client who just bought an airplane. And you say, I, I don't know anything about insuring airplanes, but do you have anybody here at Company X who might know something about insuring an airplane? They like the fact that you're asking them to be your partner in a transaction. The problem with that end of the relationship of the intermediary role is that we as insurance brokers represent the buyer, not the seller. So that's, I, I guess that that's a challenging point that a lot of people see in this, in this industry is that as we deal more and more with technology, the amount of emails that we send on a daily basis, one of the things that we pride ourselves on here is the fact that we'll call underwriters to discuss 
a particular account, whether we're going to end up sending a confirmation email or whether the transaction will ultimately be solidified through that writing. We, when there's a challenge, we call those underwriters and we call those underwriters and refer to them as partners. So yes, I, I agree with you from my side that we often, that we not often, 100%, we always represent the buyer and we always represent our client and it's our job to make sure that they get the best product at the best price with the best service. But we also always refer to ourselves as the carrier's partners. Now we may have various partners and different partners can suit different buyers better, but the relationships I think and what I've seen, especially from you, is it's those that we view the most as our partners. It's those carriers that we can come to them and say we have a challenge or we don't know something and therefore they're willing to either make an exception on the rare occasion that they make an exception or explain to us why they can't do something so that the next time it's easier and we can do th that transaction better. And in case you can't hear, there's our grandfather clock again. The That ultimately, I think, helps the buyer because when the two people on the other side of the conversation from the buyer perspective, us as the intermediary and the seller, that underwriting representative. If we look at ourselves as partners to serve the client, not just selling a bill of goods or selling goods to them, and it's more of a service of providing them with what they need, then isn't that, doesn't that develop a certain level of depth? I, th I think if you, if, if you trace the, the feelings involved in the transaction, the business is the same. Whoever the intermediary is, the business that's being transacted is the same. The difference is when the insurer or the risk bearer trusts that the intermediary is giving them the whole story and that the intermediary knows the buyer and is representing that buyer in a forthright and honest way, then the, in, then the underwriter or the claim representative says, boy, my intermediary, my broker has a stake in this and that is their good name. So there's not just a transaction, but it's a, the partnership part is we're representing our good name and our reputation as partners and delivering something to my client, the buyer. But you, you just said that it's our job to represent the buyer and ultimately our allegiance is to the buyer and we represent them to the seller by being, and I'm not at all suggesting that someone should be dishonest with an underwriter or with a, or with a seller or with a carrier, but by being so forthcoming and by always putting everything on the table and by telling the whole story and only offering a certain caliber of product doesn't, can't one think that the buyer loses out? The buyer doesn't lose out because this whole transaction is based on not the product and not the name of the insurance company. It's based on the willingness and ability to pay a claim. And when the relationship is conducted the way we're describing here, then when the moment of truth comes, which is in the claim process, Aaron, it's not in the premium process, it's not in the policy process, it's in the claim payment process, then the underwriter says to the claim representative, hey, listen, Gordon has always traded very fairly with us and very honestly, so if you're going to bend on anything for anyone, bend on the subject for Gordon because he's forthright. So you're suggesting that underwriters get involved in claims? Sure they do. Claim representatives don't determine coverage. They go to an underwriter and say, what was your intent? 
and the underwriter says my intent was to cover the following. So, so that's maybe that's the exactly that's the key to the relationship is everybody likes to talk about how there's a contract and insurance. Yesterday, I posted on LinkedIn that if you make insurance, if you refer to insurance as a game, then you make it into a commodity. But the response that I got from the person who had posted that was it is it is a relative commodity because it's a contract and you're purchasing a contract and as long as it delivers then then that then the person pays and that's the contract i i don't think it's i don't think it's a contract i think it's a promise to pay so you're suggesting that and and i guess your experience shows this and i i've seen it but the average consumer hasn't seen it that yes there are carriers and there are instances and we've had it in our business where Carriers, underwriters, adjusters, whoever it is from that side, have denied claims. That, that that has happened. Sure. But the underwriter's intent can override the language and the policy on occasion. And the way to get to that underwriter's intent from the consumer side is to make sure that their representative or intermediary tells the whole story so that that underwriter remembers their intent. Exactly correct. The way I look at it is the application process is a is a picture that's not colored in it's the outline of something the, the the intermediary's description of the client their relationship with the client the knowledge of the client colors in the picture at the end of that transaction the underwriter has made a decision the claim person is not involved when the, at the moment of claim then they have to say to the underwriter what did you mean when you painted this picture and the underwriter, if they have a good relationship with the intermediary, with the broker, will say, I meant it to cover that. I was informed. This is secondary to our, as the broker, as the intermediary, to our relationship. But do you, do you see that happening at every carrier where the, the claim adjuster, the claim representative, speaks to the underwriter and cares what the underwriter's intent was? No, I don't see that as, as happening frequently. I see that as happening in our cases. Because of those relationships that run on both the claim side and the yes, side. Yes, you know, I mean, I, I can tell you, Aaron, we have a client for 49 years. There was a questionable, in the claim person's mind, a questionable claim. And the claim person verbalized to the client at the, uh, at the site, I'm not sure that this claim is covered. And I said, hold it. Your job is to go back to management and describe what you saw. The underwriter's job is to determine whether it was covered. So I'd like you to retract what you just said and let the underwriter make a determination. So let's segue with that because that's a great example. You're at a client site. There's a claim. Why were you there? We so, People tell us the statistics are there on homeowners, and it's a little bit more frequent on, on commercial, but 86% of homeowners or personal insurance consumers never put in a claim. So I'm never going to have a claim. When I have a claim, either they'll deny it or they'll pay me. They'll probably they'll probably mess me over and try to and try to not pay. But I know that this is a fundamental principle of our business. But a lot of people don't maybe don't know that. Was that nine o'clock in the middle of a dinner that you ran out to see the client? Sure. I view our role as being there at the moment of truth. The rest of it is social. What's it that you always say? We earn, we earn at the time of a claim. That's correct. That's when we earn our keep. That's correct. We may get paid early on, but we earn at the time of a claim. Uh, otherwise, we really, otherwise it's a commodity. 
And I wouldn't want to be, before an IRS auditor without my accountant, I wouldn't want to be in front of a plaintiff without my attorney, and I wouldn't want to be, be before an adjuster or a claim representative of an insurance company without my broker. So what the consumer is getting is not just the person that puts through their tra the transaction that buys their insurance this year and renews it next year or gives them a certificate. It's really the purchase is the start of the relationship, but it, the trust comes or the affirmation that the trust was justified, the justification of the trust is in the time of a claim. But how do you, but how, what, is the, what is the response when 86% of people will never put in a claim? Ask them to, to talk to one of the other 14% who have put in a claim. One, one would find that any client, any buyer who puts in a claim will describe that process qualitatively and quantitatively. We do not have one client, Aaron, who has ever said, I was underserved in the payment of a claim. Not one. And, and that's because we don't have a claim department. But there are, because our claim department is our underwriting department, is our service department, it's all one and the same because those are the people that interact. But there's billions of dollars of insurance brokerage and insurance policy work that's done in our industry where the claim department is larger than the service department. Regrettably, Aaron, that's why the reputation is so negative. Right. Because that person at the end, other end of an 800 number knows nothing about you. And as a result, they're transacting the claim process at a distance with a piece of paper in front of them. Where when your producer, your intermediary is there on site with the claim representative. As we do these podcasts, Aaron, I promise to deliver to you and to those who are listening, story after story after story, true stories about claims that occurred when I was there and how that changed the whole culture, the whole color, the whole genre of the claim because we were there. I, I spoke to someone today. We're, we're all working on a prospect here and I spoke to them, to a CFO today and I told him that we pride ourselves on having a different level of service and we develop relationships and we may have just met, but I hope that over the next 50 years of doing, of being in this business, that they'll be our client and that we'll be able to serve them. And he said something that was quite disturbing to me. He said, this is not the, that's, this, this is not the first time I've heard that. And in my X number of years of being in this business or being an insurance consumer, I have never been impressed by the broker service. How, how do we even respond to that? We don't. As, as, as we reputationally. Don't. Aaron, Aaron, we don't. Just as people tell me of the bad experiences they had with their, their CPA or their attorney, um, we don't respond to that. What we say is, give us a chance to show you why we're different and how we operate in a mode that other people don't and how we're a boutique firm, which we have a 1,000 clients out there, and between you, your mother, and I, we know all of them, personally, and give us an opportunity to make you 1,001, and we'll show you that we know you personally, but I can't, I can't react to what other people do. So the last time we were, we were on this, you said something that actually really stuck with me, and I, I've quoted it a bunch since, that 
studies have shown or studies in the past that you were involved in show showed that it takes a good insurance prospect or a good client relationship is takes a year to build or more in a, a give or take time a, a year to a year to build and i was thinking what would be the reason behind that and that's kind of where i came up with the idea where we came up with the idea to discuss the carrier relationship which we have and and how we communicate and we try to be honest and we put everything on the table but that trust I find that when people know that you're around, I'll throw out an argument that you and I have had or a discussion that you and I have had over and over again. And this is a perfect example of why we're doing this podcast, millennial versus non-millennial. I say we do way too much free consulting. People give us their policies over and over again. They tell us their story and they never intend on buying it over and over again. They take our intellectual property and our hard work and we find the hole or we find a way that they can improve and they take it and they give it back to their other broker. And we should be charging people for this or we should be, we should at least just stop doing it and say, not charge, but if you want to talk to us, then we at least want some sort of a policy. And your response to that is no, because eventually that person will come back. Enough of them come back that make it worthwhile. You're right. People take advantage of people. I understand that. I understand that going in every time. And I understand the frustration and disappointment. But as you've seen, every so often, they come back. And that's what we're here for. We're not, you know, the, the people in, in the world of finance tell me that they invest in 20 projects and one out of 20 succeeds and they make up for the 19 that didn't succeed. Similarly here, you're right, people take advantage of us intellectually. They waste our time. But... But they're entitled to shop, and we're entitled to offer our services. And frankly, I think that's what brought us the modicum of success that we have. You just remind me of a great story. Three or so years ago, we were we a, an old client, a former client, called us and brought us and asked us to come back and be their broker. And it, it was a long backstory, but the, the 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 quote that stuck with me most was I remember meeting with the principal and his son-in-law. And he said, he looked across the table and he said, David, thank you for coming. I, I'm glad you're here. And I was thinking about it and I can't really remember why we left you in the first place. And I'm glad that we're back doing business. And I saw you at so-and-so's house and I was, and my memory was jogged to the point where I said, you know, we, we, should, we should do something with, with, with the Gordons. So is that, is that something that we bank on? Or is that something that's supplement, that supplemental? You know, uh, Aaron... You're the millennial, I'm the old-fashioned guy in this conversation. So uh, I told you the first day in that you, you treat the receptionist with the highest level of regard similar to the way you treat the, the CEO. And this is the way we've done our business traditionally. We, we know the wrong way to do it. That's how we figured out the right way to do it. But if we're going to represent a client our way, then we're going to represent the client every day, not just to sell them an insurance policy. We're going to represent the client through their life stages, buying a home, selling a home, having children, not having children, having a car, having a second home. We're going to be in touch with them on a constant basis. That's what differentiates us from the large insurance brokers or the direct writers, as they're called, who don't contact the client, who wait for the, the client to contact them. It, it's, it's funny you say that because we so often discuss the, the fact that 
every person who we meet, one would say that every person who we meet is a prospect. That's right. We may not, and, and that doesn't mean, and I, I don't want anyone who's listening to get the wrong idea and think that anytime we talk to someone or we meet someone, we're looking at them as a way to make a buck. And in fact, I mean just the opposite. The fact that every person who we meet, we can have an opportunity to provide service yet. I don't think, I, I can count the times on one hand that in the 30 years that I've been watching you sell, I've, seen, I've heard you say to a friend or an acquaintance, you know, we've been friends for 15 years. Our kids went to school together. How about I do your insurance? Yet they all seem to come around. Or not all. A lot seem to come around. And, I, and, and what's shocking to me is that the opposite is also true. How many people have we met and families have we met that were strictly business acquaintances, that were a referral from somebody and who have become friends and like family? I think that's why, they, that's why I'm still doing this, Aaron, after 60 years. I'm still doing it because these relationships are very rewarding. Otherwise, it's just a commodity. And remember, we began the conversation saying, what is our relationship with the seller of insurance and the buyer? So the word relationship starts the whole conversation, and frankly, it ends the conversation. When the relationship is good, you can say to the, to, the, to the insurance company, you know, I made a mistake. I didn't think about this aspect of, of coverage, and my client will suffer unless you're willing to extend yourself. And that admission causes the person on the other side to say, you know, has he ever done that before? It's not a frequent thing that he does. He must be honest. Similarly with the client, we can say, you know what, we've done our very best. You neglected to tell us you had a 19-year-old driver. Now we'll see what we can do with the insurance company because there's a claim. Do you, and in 2018, it's all about... So for those who don't know, we didn't have an agency management computer system till 2015, 2016. And earlier, uh, end of, of 2017... They sent out a bulletin. You may not even know this. They sent out a bulletin that said, we now have a new service. You input your client's contact information because that's how you, this is your database. And there's a new checkbox next to the mobile option, SMS from your computer. So the system, you can have an ongoing text message conversation with your client. And because of best practices in the industry and errors and omissions practices and everything like that, we will keep a record of it. So now we're in the age of text message, email. How does one continue? How can we, for ourselves, develop and keep developing those relationships and set realistic expectations for what our clients can expect from us? And how can we hope that they develop the relationship with us? I think... If you ask them to benchmark the service against anyone else, they'll choose us. We may not always have the lowest price on, on, the, on, the, on the promise to pay that we're selling, but we'll always have the highest level of service. So it really depends on what matters to the client. Do you think it's ever possible to overserve? No. There's no such thing. 
maybe millennials can be overserved, but but um, non millennials, non millennials appreciate that you call and say, have there been any changes in your lifestyle and your exposures in your family, and your business? I think they appreciate that, and that's not an annoyance. It's 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 a millennial challenge. I think about I we have part of the beauty or the humor of the business that we're in is that we have the same people over and over again and it's not for financial reasons who wait till the last day to pay every time and it's some people it's large accounts it's small accounts but it's those same people over and over again and it's usually a light moment in our office and we say oh so and so you know joe jones it must be that it must be the the beginning of his quarterly cycle because he didn't pay and then we over and over and over again follow up with these people because ultimately First of all, we want them to have the coverage. And second of all, because it's our duty and our responsibility. And it is not rare, it is common that we hear, I know, why are you bothering me? I know, I got that. I always pay on the 30th of the month or the 31st of the month. So is that to our detriment? I don't know, but don't we want to be, don't we want people to enjoy the I'd rather overserve than underserve, Aaron. I think that at the end of the transaction discussion, the person who overserves comes out way ahead of the person who underserves. I mean, that's our that's our ethics. So, F- financially or or ethically, in both ways. The reward of overservice is that you're never without knowledge of your client. The detriment is it's 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 very time intensive. So I'll circle back to the carrier as we get set to wrap up. Client, consumer, intermediary, broker, carrier, underwriter. Our carriers, and I hope that some are listening out there, push us as the intermediary and the industry is so driven by new business that one would think that when looking at the whole picture, the consumer may feel or may see that it's better for my intermediary to go to lose me, underserve me, and get a piece of new business because that's what their carrier partner likes, and that's what's fun for them, and that's what's easy for them, and they don't care about me. So, how in an industry that's so driven by trying to grow a new business, how does one keep the relationship going and still maintain the financial aspect of that? We have to. We have to wrestle with the tension that you're describing, and we have to try to solve for both motives. Um, But to us, the only thing that we own is our reputation to both parties. That's all that we own. So it's not that our product is unique. Whatever policy you have, you can buy from another broker, another intermediary, directly from a company or some way. And whatever whatever representative you have as an insurance company, you can replicate that elsewhere. What makes our unique position? It is that we're a boutique firm that doesn't trade in big numbers, that wants to preserve existing clients even at the expense of new clients. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that that's a great way to sum it up. This has been the second installment of our IDG 50 for 50 podcast once again. Hashtag IDG at 50 or 5450. This is Aaron Gordon and David Gordon signing out. Have a good night. Have a good night.